You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, Episode 64, brought to you by Vessi's Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Hey there, folks. It's Greg Otten here with the Maritime Gardening Podcast, and this episode, I'm going to pick up on a thread of conversation I got into with Robert Pavlis in the last uh, recording. Um, Robert isn't here for this one, but we're actually going to have him back. I've had some emails back and forth with him. We had a really good time. Uh, it's always good to talk to gardeners about gardening. And we're going to have him back to talk about some other topics. So I'm really excited about that. And that might even happen on our very next recording. But for this week, it's just me again. Uh, and I actually i am trying to line up more, more guests because I really enjoy, now that I've figured out how to do this <laughs> using uh Skype and all that sort of stuff. There was a bit of a learning curve there for me. Um, now that I figured out how to do this, I'm confident that I can do it with just about anyone. Worked out the bugs. So uh, it was a <laughs> funny story in and of itself trying to work this out with Robert because I wasted an incredible amount of, of his time <laughs> working out uh, my uh, techno- technological difficulties uh, involved therein. Anyway, uh, our last conversation when I had with Robert Pavlis, we got on to this side conversation about how people go about understanding things that are going on in their garden. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? And the way they arrive at explaining what's going on in their garden. They tend to base it on their observations. They tend to base it on what people have told them. Uh, They base it on things they've run on social media. And I think the general advice we gave people, if you, if you have a question, is uh, to consult uh, science-based, peer-reviewed uh, research online. And I think the most accessible sort of resource you can find if you're just Googling stuff, you're going to Google, why does this happen? Why does that happen? You're going to get all of these resources that are going to explain why. You're going to notice, as Robert and I were saying, the first three or four is usually some website trying to get subscriptions, trying to sell something, etc., etc. Not necessarily answering the question from the sheer point of view of what is the answer, but more agenda-driven or you know trying to draw people to their website or that that sort of thing. And so we recommended uh, peer-reviewed publications or what, what's typically available on if you're going to Google something, university extensions, agricultural extensions of universities, where you have you know, professors at universities that don't make any more money whether you read their stuff or not. They're, they're paid a certain amount. It doesn't matter um, if, if people read it or not. Right? It doesn't matter to them. Um, they're just trying to answer questions. They're inquisitive uh, types, and they do multiple trials, and they do peer-reviewed research, and they review peer-reviewed research. And they bring all of that to bear in an answering of a question. And, and generally speaking, that's what I would uh, recommend when you're sifting through sources of information online to answer a question. But what I'm going to talk more about today is that process you go through in your own garden, in your own mind, when you're one-on-one with your actual gardening environment, and you're trying to explain what's going on. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why was I successful? Why was I not successful? Why did this plant fail? Why did that plant succeed? Why was there a pest problem? Why wasn't there not a pest problem? Why, why in year one I had a real problem with this pest, and why in year two I didn't have that problem? Is it because of something I did? What did I do differently in those two years? Right? 
all of this sort of stuff is very human thing to do, right? It's one of the great things about he being human. You can figure stuff out. Why did the fire happen? Oh, the lightning hit the ground. Okay, well, uh, let's figure out that whole fire thing, and maybe we can put that fire to use to uh, serve other needs, right? Um, it's that ability to reason through, understand causes, remember causes, and act differently in the future to get a desired outcome, right? That's that's a great ability that we have, you know, a great cognitive ability that we have. But you can go wrong in exercising that cognitive ability if you exercise a flaw in your reasoning. And what we touched on last week, and uh, I ran through some gobbledygook explanation. I can't remember if I cut it out or not, um, but it's literally the title of today's episode post hoc ergo propter hoc that's a latin term and uh i don't want to don't tune out <laughs> i think talking about philosophy philosophy is a topic that's uh, dear to my heart i actually double majored in sociology and philosophy as a university student as an undergraduate and i loved philosophy i think i liked it more than anything else uh, studying aristotle and plato and some of the greatest thinkers of our age Descartes, Locke, Berkeley, Hume, all those great thinkers and, and the quality of their thought and, and the quality of their reasoning. But the very first philosophy course I took, and when you're an undergraduate, and you, you know, it depends on the university, but where I was, uh, if you were an arts undergraduate, you could choose. You could take, uh, as an under, you had a certain number of courses you had to take. You had to take a English course, you had to take a history course, you had to take some of these core courses. And you had a choice in one area. You could take a course, a philosophy course called basic logic, or you could take a math course. Because math is, is logic, right? One plus one is two, three minus two equals one. That's just pure formal logic. Basic logic, the philosophy course, was in a sense the logic of argument, the logic of reasoning. How to arrive at a conclusion, given a set of uh, a certain amount of information, how to arrive at a conclusion that's a good conclusion, that's that's likely to hold up to scrutiny, right? How to win an argument, how to make a compelling argument, how to make a case for some course of action, how to explain a set of observations in a way that provides a good explanation that allows you to make choices going forward that'll have favorable outcomes based on the information you have. And, of course, all of this is happening in this human world where we have finite observations. We're not gods. We can't see all things at all time. We, we see what we are able to see. We hear what we, we're able to hear. We taste what we're able to taste. We have what they call a finite set of observations. That's, that's called, we do most of our in, uh, reasoning through what they call inductive reasoning. We make a finite set of observations. Based on those observations, we come to some sort of conclusion about what's going on, and then we, you know, choose a plan and move ahead, right? <laughs> so that that can go wrong, right? Because you're making finite observations. Maybe you haven't seen all the information you need to make your decision, right? That's that's the world we live in. We don't always know where we're going with things, right? We're just hurtling from one educated guests to another, right? 
Um, so time to translate the. So that's what I'm going to talk about today is is that aspect of logic and how to bring that down to understanding what's going on in your garden so you don't make mistakes or so you make better decisions or you make more informed decisions about what you're seeing that's going on in your garden. Because I think this is something people do a lot. They they do something in one year and things improve in their garden so they think, oh, that's the thing. I got to just do that thing. I got to do more of that thing and everything's going to get better. And you could make some change in your garden and you have a better uh, yield. And it could have nothing to do with what you did. It could just be that it was a bit warmer that year or some pest um, wasn't around that year or for whatever reason your soil was a little bit better that year or the moisture content because of the frequency of the rain was a little bit better. I mean, there's all kinds of different reasons why things can get better. It might not be because you used rock dust or some gimmicky thing or you changed the variety of seeds you used or it could be all kinds of different things. So post hoc ergo propter hoc is Latin. It's a term and the reason we stayed in Latin is because even a couple thousand years ago intelligent people knew this was a bad way to come about a conclusion. Okay, It's what they call a logical fallacy. So translated the term means after this therefore because of this. I'll say that again. After this therefore because of this. So why this is a logical fallacy is, is because it's the sort of reasoning, well, thing A happened, uh, thing A happened, and then thing B happened. So thing A must be the cause of thing B. It's like the example they always give in the logic class where they say, well, the, the ice cream guy came around in the ice cream truck, and the temperature was warm. So the ice cream truck must cause warm days, right? And that doesn't stand up to actual reasoning. But ice cream truck showed up, warm day, must be the cause, right? Um, that sort of thing happens in your garden all the time. You say, well, there was birds and that plant disappeared, so the birds must have ate the plant, right? Um, I used uh, a different variety of seed, and the results were terrible. Must be that variety of seed. I did this, uh, I put a Tums antacid underneath my tomato plant, didn't get blossom and, right, and, and rot. Must be the Tums antacid. I'm going to do that now for the rest of my life. Because gardeners want success, they're risk averse, they tend to be conservative in nature. That is to say, they, they tend to uh, stick to things they know are going to work. And then that can be good, right? Uh, you don't want to make a lot of risks when your, your whole yield and your whole crop is hanging in the balance. Um, but when you're trying to figure out, you know, every year you, you, you try a bunch of things in your garden based on how they work out. You might try them the next year. You might try something different the next year. And you might make mistakes in your conclusions in that sense. So I can give a couple more examples of how this, you know, post hoc, that's a short term. It's post, post hoc ergo propter hoc. But post hoc is the short term for that. After this, therefore, because of this. Um, I'll give a good example. I've got, uh, I'm 46, and I've got a black blazer in my office at work. And that's the first blazer I wore to my first professional job interview in my life. I bought it in uh, 2003. I would have been close to 30 then, I guess. Um, 
I spent a long time in university, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was close to 30 before I actually applied for like a serious job. Um, <laughs> so I've worn that blazer to every interview I've ever had. And one might say it's a lucky blazer, and I, I tend to think of it that way. It's a lucky blazer because, you know, I've had uh, I've gotten some good jobs. But have I gotten every job I've applied for? No. <laughs> of course I haven't. Uh, so in a sense, it's also an unlucky. It's not a lucky blazer, right? It just happens to be the only blazer I own that looks good, that's black, that fits. And sometimes I've gotten interviews. Sometimes when I've worn that blazer, things have gone well. And sometimes when I've worn that blazer, things have gone poorly. But it's not lucky. It's not particularly lucky, right? Uh, since I bought that blazer, I've had many good things happen in my life and many bad things happen in my life. There's nothing lucky about it, right? Um, I think if you're an optimistic human, you, you tend to uh, remember the good things. So I tend to think it's a lucky blazer because, you know, every successful job interview I ever had was took place wearing that blazer. But also every unsuccessful job interview I ever had was wearing that blazer. So it, it's no more lucky or unlucky, right? That's an example, right? Wore the blazer, success. Um, or people might have a lucky ring or a lucky watch or a lucky necklace or that sort of thing. But, boy, if you're wearing that all the time, things don't go right all the time, right? Um, or, you know, a lot of people, they eat a meal and they have some stomach pain. And think, oh, was that the lettuce? Was that the eggs? Was that the, the wheat? Do I have wheat belly? Was it the, uh, the butter? Was it... What was it? what caused my stomach pain? Well, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You, you know, all of those things were things you ate, and there was also other things that happened before you had the stomach pain. You shook someone's hand. You touched your nose. Uh, who knows when the food was being prepared? Maybe someone prepared one of the things, elements of the food, who had diarrhea or something like that. You don't know the cause for why you have the stomach pain. It could be anything. And you might blame a particular food item that was on the menu that you don't normally eat. Well, I don't normally eat cabbage, and I, my stomach hurts, so it must be that cabbage because I don't normally eat it. Could be all kinds of different things. You don't know, right? That's an example of this post hoc ergo proper hoc. This thing happened. This thing happened after that thing. So the thing that happened before the <laughs> the thing that happened before the effect, right? That must be the cause. Um, so this brings us to. The idea of employing, the, the reason there's a, a thing called a scientific method is to get around this problem, get around what they call the problem of induction. And this, this conversation gets much more complex than what I'm going to talk about here. Um, but if you're employing a scientific method, method, and that's one of the best ways to explain observable, measurable, uh, material phenomena in the observable world, right? Why is this happening? Let's measure it. Let's observe. Let's uh, get all the information we can and try to figure out what's going on. If you're going to establish cause using a scientific method, there's three criteria you have to satisfy in order to make that happen. You have to establish temporal precedence, covariation, and you have to establish that there's no plausible uh, alternative explanations. Okay, so let me just repeat that. Temporal precedence, covariation, no plausible alternative explanations. Now let me break that down a little bit. Temporal precedence just means the thing that's the cause happened before the thing that was the effect. 
right? Temporal means time, precedence means order, right? Which hap what happened first, what happened after. So most you know, one of the first things you have to establish is temporal temporal precedence. If something is the cause, it happened to it had to happen before the effect. Okay. So if you have temporal precedence, that's one thing that needs to be satisfied. When you have temporal precedence, you can still commit post hoc proper hoc, right? You can still commit that logical fallacy because uh, that logical fallacy runs on that. This thing happened, then that thing happened, so this thing was the cause, right? So that's just one aspect, one, one condition needs to be satisfied for establishing costs. There's two others, right? A covariation means that the two things that you think are related, the thing that you think is causing the other thing, they have to be connected in some way. They have to have a relationship with one another. So the two things have to have an actual relationship with one another. They have to be related in some way that that's plausible, that makes sense to people. And I'll go back to that example of, of the birds and some plant disappearing. Like you notice your, uh, all your peas disappear. You get pea seedlings and they all disappear. And you notice bees, uh, uh, birds around them. So you think, those birds must ate my peas. I saw the birds, the peas disappeared, they must ate my peas. So, I mean, you saw the birds, and then you went and looked, and the peas were gone. Birds, then no peas. Birds are the cause of the no peas. So there, there seems to be a temporal precedence, right? You saw the birds, and then you, you went and looked, and the peas were gone. But is there a, a relationship between the birds and the peas? Do, like, for instance, do birds eat pea shoots. Uh, do those particular kinds of birds eat peas? Well, of course they don't. Most birds don't. I can't think of any that do um, that are the kind of migratory birds that fly through here. I mean, if you, you've got ducks in your garden or certain uh, birds like that that might be uh, herbivores, certain kinds of chickens will eat just about anything, and certain kinds of ducks will eat just about anything. Um, but, you know, you know, sparrows and robins and stuff like that, they're, they're looking for bugs. They don't care about your peas. They're probably eating the thing that was eating your peas. They're probably eating the pest that was a problem. Um, anyway, so you need that. You need temporal precedence. You need covariation. And then, most importantly, the third element of causation, no plausible alternative explanations. Right? So, sure, this thing happened before that thing, but is there other things that could be the cause? Is there a list of things that could be the cause of that outcome? What are all the other possible reasons there could be an outcome? Right, so let's say that you've got a slug problem in your garden. You, you have a particular year and uh, you've got a proliferation of slugs in your garden and they're really taking out certain plants that are vulnerable to slugs. Uh, beans, peas, things like that. Or, or beans and uh, kale. I, I find slugs are a real problem with my kale. And uh, they tend to take maybe a third of my beans if I don't use any sort of slug bait. So, so that's year one. You got a real slug problem, and you didn't do anything about it. So year two, you plant some uh, rosemary and bee balm in your garden because you read on some website that if you companion plant that with your beans, uh, the slugs will go away. So you plant that, and the slugs go away. So you think, wow, that must be the reason the slugs went away, was the rosemary and bee balm. 
right? I'm just, I'm just, I don't know if any of those things have any. I'm just throwing that out there. I read things like that all the time. Oh, use this, use that, right? Um, I've read that uh, marigolds will prevent pests in your garden. I can, I can tell you, I've put marigolds in my garden and watched slugs reduce them to nothing. Literally attack the marigolds before anything else. So I'm sure there's some pests that doesn't like marigolds. Are there some situations where they they keep slugs at bay? In my garden, the slugs breed on those things, right? So you know every microclimate is different. Um, anyway, let's say in your garden you put those couple herbs down, and the slugs disappear. So you think, okay, no herbs, slug problem. Put the herbs down, no slug problem. The herbs must be preventing the slug problem, right? But what you're doing there is a classic example of the post hoc, propter hoc uh, a problem or a fallacy, right? There could be all kinds. Of, sure, there's, there could be A, you've got, let's, let's say you've got temporal precedence, right? You put the herbs down, the slugs disappeared. So herbs happened, slugs went down. So you've got some sort of temporal, a time order there, right? So it's plausible that's the cause. You got one thing happening there, and covariation. Let's say there's all kinds of uh, articles on, on online of people arguing that there's a chemical in the bee balm, or there's a chemical in the rosemary, or there's, it emits some sort of scent that the slugs don't like, or when they try it, it makes them, uh, you know, lose their appetite. So they just leave your whole garden alone. Uh, arguments like that, right? So you've got some claim to a relationship is a plausible relationship they could be related to one another. they could be uh, connected in some way there's there's a reason to think there's an actual reason to think they're both connected in some way that the changes in one are associated with the ch a change in the other right so covariation basically means variance in one thing is related to variance in another thing and to put that another way changes in one thing are linked to a change in another thing right so Maybe there's a plausible case for covariation between the herbs and the slugs. But you've only got two of your things, and you've got to have all three or you got nothing. All right? So the third thing, no plausible alternative explanations. This is where the, the thing falls apart. There's all kinds of alternative reasons why the slugs could have decreased in year two. Right? And you're thinking it's because you added the herbs to the equation, so the slugs decreased. But it could be that um, there was an increase in some beneficial um, type of insect that attacks slugs. Or there was an increase in uh, birds and uh, snakes and toads, other kind of predators that eat slugs. It could just be that those populations moved in to where your garden is. Or it could be that those populations were a particularly good year for those things and they needed, you know, there was a a doubling of the population of some or more than one of the beneficial uh, predators and they were foraging for food and they found your garden found it was a good place to be right or that those things were in your garden the previous year and there were so many slugs around they had excellent egg laying you know uh, sessions <laughs> right or that birds that uh, were around your garden the previous year as they were migrating uh, they had a really really successful uh, you know, broods or whatever that's called. You know, they had a lot of young and they brought all of their family back the next year. So there's an increase in, in that. It could be that there was some variation in the climate in year two. 
where it was just a bad year to be a slug. Or it could be there was a variation in the climate where it was a good year to be a thing that kills slugs. right? Or it could be that the climate changed in such a way that other things that slugs eat were not very plentiful and they just didn't do very well in the previous year. Or there could be a, a change. There could have been some change in the conditions that favors slugs in year two. Just some change that you don't know about. There's all kinds of things that can happen. Right? These things live on a, a tiny, you're, you're oblivious to the world these things live in. There could be a change. So all of those things could be the reason, and it's difficult to know why um, there was a change in your garden. And this is the general problem of trying to figure this stuff out, and why just basing your conclusions on one observation or another may or may not be correct, or basing your opinion on the opinion of one person or another uh, may be incorrect. You really have to take uh, all the advice you're getting with a grain of salt. Um, the one advantage of using peer-reviewed sources, uh, academic-based sources, is that when someone tries to publish something through that medium, through a university, if you're a professor at a university and you want to publish something, what you're publishing has to be read by a number of people for it to get act to act for it to actually get out. When I write something, I'm just a gardening enthusiast. If I say something or write something, it goes online immediately. Could be wrong, could be right, could be could be a foolish thing to say. Everything I say goes out there, right? And you know, I think you should listen to me because I consider myself a fairly well-informed person. But I'm not going through anywhere near the rigor or the uh, the scrutiny that someone who's trying to publish in an academic setting has to go through. They have to make they have to run their ideas and their conclusions by people that have spent their life studying a particular area. If I want to make some argument about slugs, I have to get, I have to find like, if I want to publish that in some publication, I have to find five people, could be anywhere in the world, that have spent their life studying slugs. So if 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 if, if my research and my conclusions are rubbish, uh, they're probably going to know. They're probably going to know really quick, right? And then they're, they're going to have a better sense of whether I've done a good job of making my case than a lot of other people. And sure, are there other ways to know? Yes, there are other ways to know. Traditional knowledge and all this sort of stuff. But the problem with all those other ways to know is that they can be subject to that logical fallacy. Right? Because they tend to just be, well, this seems to work. When we do this, the good result tends to happen. So, if that's the only reason then that traditional wisdom is being used, it is based on a potential logical fallacy. It could be correct, but it could be just it just happens to work year after year because things have been favorable in such a way that that particular thing works. When you think about if you look at the ancient Roman civilization, they used to kill cats and burn goats on a pyre and do all these sorts of things to ensure the fertility of the uh, of the crop. I don't do any of that. I have great crops, right? I don't, I don't worship Jupiter or Aphrodite or you know, some, some uh, set of stars or a planet. I don't do any of that stuff uh, to ensure uh, my crops are successful. But there was plenty of people that did in the past and they thought those were really good reasons because every time they made a sacrifice to 
some god or something like that, uh, they would have good results. So for them, that was, you know, a good way to go about it. Um, that just goes to show that traditional ways of knowing, they may, they might be right, they can be right, and they can also possibly be wrong because they may be uh, a function of that logical fallacy. You just don't really know until you've tried all competing explanations. You've put it through trials. You've done multiple observations. Even in my garden, in my YouTube videos, when I say, well, this seems to work and that seems to not work, I mean, I'm basing that on one or two observations. That's not very scientific. If a scientist is going to say this works and that doesn't work, it's because they've done a hundred observations or two hundred observations or you know, multiple trials to see. Because right? it's always variation. Anyway, uh, I don't know how intriguing this particular topic is to most people. It's been on my mind all week. And um, you know, when you're doing a podcast, you got to do stuff that you're interested in, or you're not going to be very interesting to listen to. So I just thought I would throw these ideas out there and try to make an episode of it. I've been talking for a good 30 minutes, so uh, I think I've made an episode of it. Um, let me know in the comments if if this was a, an interesting topic to you. This is this stuff. This stuff intrigues me. I'm very interested in this general topic area. I don't know that it's really interesting to everyone. I'm interested in hearing your comments on it. So please let me know and let me have it. You know, if you don't like it, let me know. I can talk about lots of other different things. Um, you tend to just go uh, when you're doing this sort of thing. You tend to just go where where your interests are. This week I've been I've been thinking ever since I talked to Robert Pavlis, I had this idea in my head of doing this episode. Anyway, that's just where my mind was this week, and uh, I hope that was interesting to you, and I hope it gave you some something to chew on. Um, and if it did, please please let me know. And if it doesn't, if this sort of thing doesn't interest you, interest you, please let me know in the comments as well. Uh, I take any kind of criticism. Um, you know, it's a lot of my best ideas come from viewers, and uh, I, I really appreciate the feedback. Um, you just got to go with what's. Uh, interesting to you at the time and, and see where it goes. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and, uh, and if you did please uh, share and uh, comment and uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel and until next time get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for listening.